We first met Bryce Langston nine years ago when there were only a tiny number of tiny houses and he was a huge enthusiast. He was building his own micro house, making a documentary about it. His Instagram page, Big Living, Living Big in a Tiny House was new and there was a growing interest in the idea of small space design. He's travelled all over New Zealand and the world. He has a new edition of his book out, Living Big in a Tiny House. And what has changed since he started on his tiny journey? A tremendous amount, really. I mean, I remember when I started the show, you would talk to somebody about a tiny house, and the first thing they would say is, well, what's a tiny house? And now I, I think it's definitely moved into that space where it's more of a mainstream concept. You talk about tiny homes, and there's not a lot of people that have no reference for what you're talking about now. So it's definitely something that I think has moved away from being a, a very sort of targeted niche into something that is now a very mainstream concept. What is tiny? Because some of them, to be honest, over those 10 years look quite a bit bigger than the earliest iterations. They so sure what do. are the parameters? You know what? I'm not particularly dogmatic about that. I think that you know what's tiny can be subjective to people's life circumstances, their family circumstances, all of that sort of thing. Um, so you know, a lot of people get very caught up in sort of the definitions of a tiny home needing to be under 15 square meters or, or anything like that. Um, we sort of just focus on great, innovative, small space design. Um, so you know, on our show, we as a general rule, we've tried to feature places that are under 100 square meters. Um, but really, I'm, I'm not dogmatic in terms of, like, definitions of tiny houses being matched to square meterage. Well, they all have some wheels under them somewhere. Most of them do, uh, but we obviously feature a lot of uh, places that are also sort of natural buildings. We feature shipping container homes that don't have wheels, so there are definitely some variations on that. Of course, the classic cabin would also be considered a tiny house in some ways as well. So, yeah, there are definitely sort of... They, they come in, in lots of different shapes and sizes, really. Let's go back to your own story. This began with a personal decision to downsize and go micro. As we said, it just wasn't so well known back then. And what drove it? Well, I have a background in permaculture, and I attended the 2012 permaculture hui where I met an earth builder who had just built a, a couple of really incredibly beautiful, very simple earth homes. And I was a television actor. I'd recently been killed off of a TV show. And so I was back to basically being an unemployed actor, paying way too much rent for an Auckland apartment and just trying to figure out how I was going to make life work. And when I saw those uh, very simple, beautiful, small earthen homes... I just was so enamored with the idea, and, and I thought, well, if I could do that for myself, if I could build myself a small, simple, humble shelter so that I could get myself out of the rent trap, and th it would give me a greater ability in life to do this job that I loved, but that didn't always pay me very well. Uh, and then I was researching, I was sort of doing a bit more further research into, uh, into small space design, and an article come up on Jay Schaefer, who had recently built his very first tumbleweed tiny house in America. And, of course, that was a home which had been built on a modified car hauler trailer. And for me, it was just like, it was incredible. <laughs> and, and, and I immediately fell in love with it. And, and what was game-changing about that as well is it became a model of being able to own your own home without needing to own the land that it sat on. And I was just immediately obsessed with the idea and decided right there and then to, to throw myself into my own project. Hence why we have wheels under so many of these uh, Yeah, so exactly, these exactly. Yeah. That's sort of how it all kicked off. Oh, Shorty Street eats all its 
children in the end. You know that, Bryce, don't Doesn't you? Doesn't it just? I was drowned in a bathtub as well. It was <laughs> especially brutal for me. Oh, oh, Carla wasn't involved, was she? No. Okay, no. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> um, so you brought, obviously, a set of skills that are serving you well uh, now to the, t- to the TikTok side of things and the, and the social media side of things, the YouTube side of things. But what were the skills you had right back then to do your own place? What were you like on the tools? Nothing. I had absolutely nothing. I was completely useless. And and I sort of made that very much part of my learning journey. I Right from the beginning, I worked with builders. So I, I brought builders onto the project. And, and I've, I've worked with, with builders on all of the homes that I've built since. Um, but I've always, wherever possible, used it as a learning opportunity where I can jump on the tools myself and sort of learn under their tutelage and improve my own personal skills. Because it is really empowering. You know, I think there is this undeniable mysticism that we have about professions like home building and that sort of thing. But when you actually break it down and get into the nitty gritty of it, it's something that we all have the capacity to do, at least to some extent. Um, And once you do start to get a few of those skills, it's really empowering. Before we go on a journey of the weird and the wonderful that you've Mm -hmm. um, uh, discovered and and updated again in this new uh, iteration of living big in a tiny house, what was your first own one like? Well, it's still the one that I live in here. Well, well, actually, so my very first one, if we want to go back right to the beginning, I was impatient when it came to building uh, to building my tiny house. So I actually lived in a tent for a while. I, I, I got this bell tent. And, and when, when I say I lived in a tent, it makes me sound a lot more homeless than I really was. It was um, a very beautiful, very plush sort of glamping tent that I set up uh, in order to be able to sort of uh, get out of the rent trap sooner and put money towards building my tiny house. And at the time, I was just starting with the YouTube channel and stuff as well. So it was a way of really eliminating my overhead so that I could focus on my work and focus on building my home and just put all of the money towards uh, towards my goals. And uh, so that was my sort of first experience of, of living tiny was in a very simple bell tent. Um, we'd built a, a beautiful cantilevered deck around it. We had a, a treehouse tiki style uh, outdoor bathroom that we set up next to it as well, which was really great. I lived off of a single 100-watt solar panel. Um, so that was my sort of first real um, foray into tiny house living. So, of course, when I eventually finished my own tiny home, it was sort of an upgrade for me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, so the, the house that I live in now, it's, it's really simple. So I live there together with my partner, Russa. Um, it's 15 square meters. It has a simple kitchen, a beautiful bathroom, composting toilet, nice lounge, work area, and a sleeping loft. Um, but That's of course, really, the it's... pudding, isn't it, Bryce? Because you can have you know, a great idea like this, and yeah, we're going to go tiny, and yes, we can do this, and I'm downsizing in my mind, and I'm downsizing in my life, and then after two years, it's like I want a garage back. But right. for you, you've, you're, you're the proof. That well, you can still is... have a garage. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's um, true. And, and yeah, I, I think you know, there's um, there's definitely people who will quite naturally resonate and fit in with tiny house living. And I knew right from the beginning that I was going to be one of those people. I've always loved to travel. I've uh, I've always shifted around a lot for work. I've I've never had a tremendous ab- amount of stability in my work, and so there's always been mobility involved in things that I do. And so in my life, I haven't really had much of an opportunity opportunity to accumulate a lot of stuff. Uh, So I just naturally fit quite well into tiny house living. And and even now, because of the YouTube show and everything, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's, yes, I can say I live in a tiny house, but almost a more honest answer would be that I live in motels and rental cars, because that's where I am most of the time. Let's talk about what's happened with broader trends in New Zealand, uh, also, if you wouldn't mind for a moment. And uh, do we have any idea how many tiny houses with a, you know, reasonable um, definition, there are now in New Zealand. 
You know, I have no idea. Yeah. I have absolutely no idea. I'm consistently shocked with with how with, with some of the numbers that get thrown around. I know, especially over COVID, we had a lot of very very busy tiny house builders. Uh, last time I had a conversation with with somebody who has a business in moving tiny homes, um, and he's just one of a few of these businesses that specialize now in moving tiny houses. He said that he was shifting eighty of them a month, um, and so I, you know, I think there's I think there's a really good number out there. And especially here in New Zealand, I would say there's probably more tiny houses per head of capita here in New Zealand than any other place in the world. What's resale like? Is there much of a market for resale? Sh- yeah, I mean, when I when I started into tiny homes, I was continuously reminded that it was a depreciation asset, and that it would be similar to buying a car. Uh, but the reality is that inflationary forces have meant that most people who have built a tiny home at any time in the past are now selling it if they need to for considerably more than they put into it. Okay. The other thing that puts people off, and you've touched on already, is the idea of the planning consent issues with tiny homes. Mm. The point is to try and get around that. But have councils got fussier? You can't just stick on a couple of wheels necessarily to get around some of the building rules. What are you hearing? So you you do hear the horror stories from people that have got into conflict with council, but more or less... The council are not on a witch hunt for tiny homes. There is an understanding that they have a, a role to play in society today. Um, our, our councils and governments understand that we have a housing crisis, that we have a cost of living crisis, and they're not on a witch hunt actively looking for people who are in tiny homes to demonize them and kick them off land and all of that sort of thing. The only time council will take issue with a tiny home is if you have a conflict with a neighbor, at which point in time they have to uh, address that, obviously. Okay. But my experience is that they're not on a witch hunt. And, you know, um, you know, I've even in the past had emails and calls from, from council sort of asking me what I thought about particular situations and, and sort of the first time that they've come across a, a tiny home conflict or something, they'll, they'll often, you know, reach out to the tiny house association or something like that. They're trying to work with people. And I think that, um, I, I think that sort of more legal, more clear legal frame rate, uh, framework is definitely on the horizon. What happens with services, with water and obviously the latrines, so to speak? Um, (laughs) uh, And and again, are we seeing this evolve as more and more are built? Are we getting more and more attractive and more and more practical solutions? We sure are. The technology just keeps on getting better and better. Our composting toilet technology now is absolutely incredible uh, to the extent that I would consider it a cleaner, healthier, much better uh, alternative than a a conventional flushing toilet. Uh, We have great grey water treatment uh, capacity now. Um, Certainly the technology around this whole, because, you know, the tiny house movement, this isn't just something which is localised in New Zealand as well. This has exploded all over the world. And so with that is a whole bunch of support companies and support infrastructure and technologies that have uh, been refined and developed specifically for tiny homes. So we have we have great capacity to deal with all of those things now. Our guest is Bryce Langston. The book is Living Big in a Tiny House, exploring small space design projects from New Zealand and around the world, and he has seen many more uh, in recent years. Take us, please, to some of your favourites, whether it is to do with the innovation we're just talking about, sophisticated architecture, where they've been built, 
Take us uh, on a bit of a, of a tour of some of your faves. Oh, that's just so hard to do now. <laughs> I mean, we've seen so many over the years. I think, uh, you know, even just on the show, um, we, and the show represents only a fraction of what I've seen in person, and I think we have over 350 episodes now, so it's it's really quite incredible. And we've seen different ones of all different shapes and sizes and, and levels of technology and architecture and innovation. But to be honest, um, you know, what what gets me more than anything is, is, is the simplistic nature of the homes, like the ones that really connect with me. Um, and like you certainly when I look back at some of the stories that we've filmed over the years, what really resonates with me are the people that have almost, almost found a, a kind of spiritual peace. I know this sounds a little bit etheric, but almost like a spiritual peace through living in tiny homes where they've they've stepped back. They've got out of the, the stress of, of rent. They've got out of the, the stress of like mortgage pressure, financial pressure. They have time. They're able to dedicate themselves to things that they really love doing in the world. And those are the stories more, th- more than the architecture. It's the stories, the individuals that really resonate with me. And well, we've just come across some of the most remarkable people. Um, one of the ones that, that immediately jumps out to my mind was uh, an episode that we filmed in Wales where we met this amazing woman named Emma who had built herself a beautiful earthen home for only a thousand pounds and she was the the very first person ever to be granted a building permit for an earthen home like this under a sustainable building initiative that was conducted in Wales and she lived on on this beautiful property in the forest she had no running water no power no electricity but i remember when i queried her on some of this stuff you know like i said to her what what's it like when you have to get up in the morning go outside collect firewood and light a fire so that you can heat water before you can make yourself a cup of tea and she said to me hmm what's it like when you get up get in your car sit in traffic for an hour, go to work in an office so that you can afford the gas that gives you the ability to simply turn on your stove. And it's stuff like that that just like really made me think, you know, like these people that have been able to use architecture and simple living to so radically step out of the convention of what we could would consider sort of normal day-to-day modern life. Um, those are the stories that I really love that sort of challenge my own personal ideas about about the way that we live. So here's one that might fit with that ethos. Cathedral Cabin, do you remember, in Olympia, Washington? I sure do. Yeah, Jacob's Cabin. Beautiful, a beautiful uh, part of the United States. Of course, $7,000 US to build, and it is almost cathedral-like. The way the roof domes, um, I mean, it's pitched on the outside, but the interior is just absolutely striking. Yeah. And again, living surrounded by greenery, surrounded by nature, this is the sort of flexibility that tiny house living can bring, right? It sure does. And I mean, Jacob, uh, he was really heavily inspired by the wood butchers, the wood butchers art. This was sort of like a Pacific Northwest cabin building style that emerged in the 70s, where it was all reclaimed and all sort of thrown together in bits and bobs. But what the builders created was just exceptionally beautiful. And uh, Jacob's cabins are kind of like a modern resurgence of that. Jude's in a house truck. She's in New Zealand, $180,000 it cost for this. She's got mm. an enormous, beautiful bay window with a um, sleeping, sitting, reading area there. Yeah. Uh, and is the house, the pure house truck on the move lifestyle particularly prevalent or is everyone putting down roots and foundations these days, so to speak? It's a real mix. I mean, uh, tiny homes tend to be a little bit more grounded. Um, 
especially now that they're sort of getting quite large and, and there's a bit of expense and everything in moving them. But Jude's house truck is a great example of one that was designed right from the offset to travel. And she really makes the most of that. And, and certainly every time I see updates from her, she's parked up in some really spectacular locations. And yeah, you know, a $170,000 house truck, a really good whack of that was uh, built buying a new large uh, truck, which, which gave her the capacity to be able to uh, obviously travel around without mechanical worries and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, every every time I see an update from her, she's parked up in a, in a view that would cost you millions if you were buying that in conventional real estate. And here's some more um, New Zealanders, the Waiti Ridge. This is in Nelson, New Zealand. But look at the sophisticated garden plot out the back as well. Oh, the, my gosh, the, yeah, you know, her the, gardens the house are exquisite. Like the, yeah, exactly. So the house is just part of the story. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, one of the uh, one of the tenets that I love about the tiny house philosophy is this concept of less house and more garden, sort of taking up less uh, square meterage with your house, which gives you more capacity to be able to extend into the outdoors. And that's something that uh, Waiti Ridge has done really beautifully. They they have a gorgeous hilltop section, um, views that just stretch for miles and miles. And uh, and Anna especially is is just such a passionate gardener, and she's done an exquisite job. She calls it living. The, uh, the Hobbit call life, <laughs> which is a term which I, I absolutely love, um, which, of course, is just like simple living, good food, you know, good company, coziness, um, you know, maybe a little bit of quirkiness thrown in there. And, uh, yeah, she's doing a beautiful job of bringing that to life. It's wonderful. And I'm sure this is a key part of the appeal of the YouTube channel. It's wonderful just to see the variety of architecture. There's everything that just looks like a, a house in Wanaka, only small. Okay, yeah. It's all sort of contemporary models, and uh, materials and, and, and construction. But there's quite a few of the sort of pixie wagon style homes as well. People's personalities really seem to come to the fore. Oh, they really do. And I think that's one of my favourite things about it, is matching the architecture to the personalities. Um, you know, the the show, yes, it's about tiny homes, but more than that, I would say it's about the people who live in them and their lives and and the, the, the homes, because, you know, the people that are building these tiny homes for themselves, they're not cookie cutter. They tend to be very, very well matched to the characters of the people that live within them. They're designed specific, and they and they have to be as well, right? Because you know you're living in this environment which is confined, where you're always, you know, confronted and seeing everything that you've built around you, and so it's really important that it is matched to your character as well. So yeah, we see all kinds of of really cool, innovative uh, spaces and just quirky, neat inhabitants that, that occupy them. Have you seen an evolution on just that, making the most of a small space, whether it's the fold-up bed or you know the multi-purpose stairs or whatever? Are you seeing continuous innovation in how to create a sense of space or spaces despite size? When I first started the show, I thought that there would come a time where I'd just seen everything. You know, there's a... You know, it's it's a a box roughly the size of a parking space, and there's only so much that you can do with that space, right? But I have just continuously been amazed with the evolution of tiny homes, and as we get different materials, different technologies, and just new innovative ideas, I'm amazed that ten years now after starting this show, I can still walk into a tiny house and see something completely new. A shout-out to the family of five in Napier, New Zealand, 88,000 here, and I'm just looking at how clever their internal space 
is. It um, takes a lot to make a, a tiny house work for a family of five, and they nailed it, uh, especially the way that they layered the kids' bedrooms, right? That was very clever. Yeah. So, Bryce, the YouTube channel taking off, uh, when when did it move from your own personal interest into you know a book, but particularly the YouTube channel, and then finding that, yes, there was a heck of a lot of interest, really developing the side of your professional life. When did that take off? When I first came up with the idea of living in a tiny house, I started talking with friends about it, and I realized that it was something that was just really relevant. I mean, where I was in what was considered to be generation rent, right? Like a whole generation that was never really expected to be able to buy our own homes. And the friends of mine that were able to, to purchase their own homes, I could see their lives radically shift as they were incredibly burdened with mortgage debt and, and all of that sort of thing. Uh, and so I... I had a feeling that there would be a lot of people that would really resonate with this concept. And certainly when I discovered tiny homes and alternative living, I almost felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulder. It was like I could see a path into home ownership that I didn't see before. And so it was something that I was really excited to share with people. And that was why I started making the YouTube videos. And my initial thing was that I would probably just make a handful of YouTube videos that featured the build and design of my own home and uh, then document some months maybe of living in the house myself, and then that would be it. And I'd just go back to being an unemployed worker, uh, an unemployed actor working on a permaculture farm or something like that. That was my initial intention. And I'd released a few videos, and it started getting a little bit of attraction. And, and sure enough, just as I, I thought, some people just thought I was completely nuts, but it was starting to resonate with some people. And then I started getting people reaching out to me saying, hey, it's um, I've seen your project online. It's really interesting what you're doing. Maybe you'd be keen to come and check out my project. And that was when I discovered there was this sort of whole incredible network of people out there who were sort of investing time and energy into these really cool alternative living projects. And that was when I started doing the tiny house tours. And that really just kind of took off, especially at the time, because in, in the United States, there was this sort of real upsurgence of the tiny house movement that very much came off the back of the mortgage crisis and the GFC. Um, and so I think there was a sort of massive interest in the United States. And then but tiny homes in the U.S. at the time were quite conventional, whereas what we were doing here in New Zealand, you know, as Kiwis, we do punch above our weight, right? And we are quite creative and quite innovative. So, so you know, even though it doesn't sound like much now, we had the first tiny house to incorporate a set of stairs instead of ladders. We had the first tiny house to take itself totally off the grid with solar power and collecting rainwater and things like that. And so when we released those videos, um, the Americans sort of really tapped into it. And I think that was what really made the channel explode. 